0: Thank you brother. Good morning again everyone. I'm glad that you are here today. Please go ahead and remain seated. Normally we stand for the reading of scripture, but today's sermon will be just a little bit different. Um, Next week I'll be preaching through Malachi, God willing. Uh, But this morning um, our sermon is going to help us for the next couple weeks. The sermon is titled Preparing for Easter Conversations. Preparing for Easter Conversations. In just a couple of weeks, we're going to be celebrating the greatest event in human history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the greatest day in human history. It's a peculiar thing, don't you think, that we actually believe and confess that a man was dead for three days and he came back to life. And this man we consider to be God in the flesh. We consider the resurrection Christians do to be historical, real, and factual. No different than any other historical event like the Civil War or 9-11 or your very own birth. When we say that Christ rose from the dead, we aren't talking about feelings. We aren't talking about subjective experience or personal beliefs. We are saying that this is actual and factual and historical. And so for a second, I want you to step out of your Christian thinking and consider how out of a thing it is that we believe such a thing. That we say that someone was dead for three days and came back to life. If you do that, I think you'll understand, if you step out of your shoes for just a minute, I think you'll understand why many would consider us to be superstitious, foolish, ignorant, unscientific, and quick-to-believe fairy tales. Because dead people don't usually come back to life, except in soap operas, right? That's the only time. I thought that guy died many seasons ago, if you ever watched those things I'll ask my wife. she had been following one for like 20 years every now and then. She'll pick up an episode. I'm like, didn't he die like 10 years ago? Oh, yeah, but that really wasn't him. And, and the guy's alive again. Okay? That's the only time that dead people come back to life. Or in fairy tales. Or in superhero movies. People only come back to life in fake stories. Only in the realm of fantasy where many have placed the Bible. Right? Staying dead is the norm. And all we ever see in this world is that when someone dies, they stay dead. There seems to be no exception to this rule. And none of us here have seen Jesus alive, have we? I haven't. I don't think you have either. So really, what is the basis for this belief, this notion, that this man, not just any man, but someone whom we believe to be God, what is the basis for this notion that this supposed God-man came back to life after being crucified on a cross? Many would say it's blind trust. We just... Trust and we have no proof. Many would say that it's simply just faith. And by that they mean trust in something that they can't prove, that we can't prove. And they say that this is what Christian religion is. It's blind trust in things that are unprovable, unverifiable, and just really can't happen. It's just something you just have to trust. But we Christians, we say that this event is historical. It's real. It's not a fairy tale. And we say that it is verifiable, just like any other historical event, you can prove that past events take place. And so we say the same about the resurrection. Again, it's not based on feeling, but fact. We say that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is objective truth, not subjective experience. We say there's undeniable evidence that he rose from the dead. And with Easter upon us in a couple weeks, some of you are going to have conversations about this with other people, and they're going to ask you questions and so this morning, we want to prepare you for those conversations rather than waiting till Easter Sunday. So it's a couple weeks away, and so this morning we're going to help you with those potential conversations. Christmas and Easter, they're generally two days when many people at least give some minimal thought to Christianity. And the death and the resurrection of Christ is what we call the gospel. And that means that word gospel means good news. We are called by Jesus himself to share this good news with others and to help them make sense of what the gospel, the good news means for their life. Hear me clearly when I say that the acceptance or the rejection of the gospel has serious consequences for every human being. Every human being. What you do with the gospel is the most important decision that you will ever make in your life. It's more important than who you will marry. What you do with the gospel is more important than uh, where you go to college. It's more important than what stocks you invest in. It's more important than where you decide to live and plant your roots. It's more important than how you eat. It's more important than the friends you pick. What you do with the gospel is the most important decision you will ever make in life, career-wise, anything else. It will have billions and billions of years of impact on your life for all eternity, forever and ever. And we Christians, we pray for the world like we just did. We pray that with the help of God that they too will come to believe that a man who is God was crucified and he defeated death for us and he is alive now and forevermore. This matters for us all, everyone. And today we're going to work that out and see how it matters so that you can share the good news with other people. So the first thing I want to do Excuse me. In helping you to be equipped in order to share this message with others, is I want you. To, I want to point you to some past sermons that Pastor Steve and I have preached on previous Easter Sundays. In several of those sermons, we presented to you the historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We presented verifiable facts that historians agree these things are true surrounding the events of Christ's supposed resurrection. And you have Christian historians and non-Christian historians agreeing that certain facts are verifiable and provable, and we know for certain these things happened concerning what Christians say is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when you consider these many evidences, you have to, like a good juror in a courtroom, you have to make a decision when presented with all the evidence. Did the resurrection happen or not? And I think if you're open to honesty with yourself and the evidence that you'll look at it and you'll say there's no other explanation for the evidence than when you put it all together you have to conclude that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And in those sermons that I'll point you to you're going to hear alternate theories to the resurrection what other people who aren't Christians say well maybe this is what people think the resurrection is and they'll give this theory and those theories are going to get dismantled because they don't really hold any water. They don't hold any factual basis There's no proof that those alternate theories could be actual. And so you're going to hear that in those sermons. And so to hear these past sermons, I want to invite you to download the app on your phone, Sermon Audio. It's an app that's on Android and iPhones and uh, all other phones, I suppose. Um, Or you can go to the website, sermonaudio.com. You can navigate around by our church name, Sovereign Way Christian Church. You can type in my name, Joshua Ritchie, um, or Pastor Steve Feinstein, And you just look for Easter last year, okay? They're arranged by topic sometimes. Just navigate around. If you can't find them, come see me, and I'll point you to them so that you can hear factual evidences for the resurrection of Christ. Now, the second thing I want to do to help you share the gospel, this good news of Jesus' death and resurrection and why it is good news, is I want to uh, help you by seeing why the resurrection matters, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So this morning, I want you to think of this as, as an equipping and enabling, a helping, and preparing for a task that is to come for the rest of our lives, but especially the next couple weeks. Now, you guys know I'm, I'm not a mechanic. Um, can't can't fix a lot of things. Okay, I usually have to call upon people to help fix things. But on occasion, I've put together some electronic devices, some games. Before um, many of these things have instructions on how to assemble them, of which I have little use for initially until I realize something isn't working and I can't close something or it's not turning on or off. It's just a little left wobbly. Something's wrong with the way I put something together. And so I go to the instructions. That's always the case. You can ask Carlos Pamplona, who's a member of our church. Last week he helped me put together a ping pong table in the room next door. And there were a couple times I had to unbolt things and then screw them because I didn't read the instructions carefully. That's just how I do it, all right? Uh, It helps me to remember (laughs) how to do them right the next time. Sometimes the things that I assemble have something called a linchpin, okay? A linchpin might come in several forms, but the idea is basically the same in all of them, a linchpin, all right? You put everything together, and this final piece is inserted, and it holds that last piece together so that everything else doesn't unravel and come apart. In a a car, you might think uh, like a wheel. You might think of an axle. An axle is the rod that runs through the wheel, and it runs through all the way and sticks out the other end. This axle oftentimes has a hole drilled right through it. Okay, So the axle goes through the wheel. There's a hole in the axle. And you slide the linchpin through the hole so that if you try to pull the axle out, the linchpin stops it from coming out. And the two stay together. Does that make sense? You're not mechanics either, I can tell. Okay. <laughs> all right, we're all in the same boat. So let's end the sermon. Okay. So linchpins, they're important. Okay, again, they hold everything together. Church, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it is the linchpin of Christianity. It is the linchpin of Christianity. What does that mean? It means if you pull it out, the entire system of beliefs crumbles. It falls apart. That's how important the resurrection of Christ is. There is no good news without the resurrection. There's no reason to adhere to anything in the Bible and what it says if the resurrection didn't happen. There's no reason to sing songs like we just sang if the resurrection didn't happen. Jesus' life was a waste of time on this earth if the resurrection didn't happen. He's not worthy of our worship if the resurrection didn't happen. He's not worth talking about if he is still dead and his bones lie in a grave somewhere. So if he's dead right now and did not rise from the grave, we should stop meeting. We should call this quits and get out of here and sell this building and stop giving to help people know about Jesus Christ. Everything falls apart if the resurrection didn't happen. Even one of the authors of Scripture, the Apostle Paul, he said that the preaching of Scriptures was pointless if Christ is not raised from the grave and he is dead like everyone else. It's pointless. But if it did happen, then everything we're told of in Scripture matters. And it's more important than we can ever imagine. And it matters for everyone. If a man who was really dead came back to life three days later, then it's important, and it's the most important event in all of human history. And therein lies the key. The key overcoming the inevitable problem that everyone will face one day, which is death death, it is inevitable it is coming to all of us there's no one that escapes it, and if there's a guy who conquered death, that's a very important day, it is the most important day to solve mankind's worst problem death, if death can be overcome then we ought to share this good news we ought to share what the God man did to overcome death for us We should not hold it in. We possess a healing vial of medicine. And while you may have your views on COVID and vaccinations, everyone needs to be vaccinated against death, and therefore everyone needs a shot of the gospel. There is not a person exempt from this. So while there is time, we need to be actively sharing the gospel with those we love, with those whom we work with, with those whom we associate with strangers, with friends, with co-workers, whomever God sends our way. And I understand that there's fear involved in sharing this good news. There's ridicule that comes along with it. There's rejection. There's skepticism. There's questions that you might not necessarily know how to answer. I get that. I do. I've been there. I understand that. Nevertheless, we have to do this task of sharing the good news with other people and helping rescue them from hell in order to bring them back to God in love and his kindness and his favor and his blessing. And we do that by sharing the gospel. And we're not alone in this task. For God says, Jesus himself says he is with us as we do this. And so the message is supported by God's power. The message is not one that we have to invent because God has already given it to us. And some of us know this message. And some of us might not be sure how to share it. And so today we're going to help you with that. As I mentioned a little bit ago, the Apostle Paul, he was, listen to this, he was initially an enemy of Christ and Christians, the Apostle Paul. He was a Jewish leader, a Pharisee. That is a group of religious uh, people, a a certain sect of religious people in the Jewish culture several thousand years ago. He had a high standing amongst them. He was like the best of the best. He was like Tom uh, Maverick, Tom Cruise in in Top Gun. You know what I'm talking about? He's just supreme elite. Just, I, 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 you know, was better than everybody at his religious job. Okay, he was a Christian hunter, a Christian executioner. Just hear that for a second. He's a Christian hunter. And he executes Christians. Christians were scared of this guy, that he would come knocking on their door, and that he would drag them out into the street and have everyone throw stones at these Christians until the point of death. It's called being stoned to death. Offer for their belief that Jesus was crucified and rose again. The apostle Paul hunted Christians for this. But then Paul encountered the resurrected Christ and everything changed. He he began to follow Jesus and he began to serve him. And the Christ hater became a Christ heralder. The hunter became the hunted. It's amazing to see that the persecutor became a preacher of the good news. What caused this Christ hater to become a heralder? Think about that for a second. Because his career was going very good, it was perfect, he was a bright star in Judaism. And something caused him to become a Christian and to forsake everything in order to love and to follow Jesus. And then Paul, who used to persecute Christians, became the one who was getting attacked, just like the rest of the Christians. Why would someone do this? Why would someone leave behind everything that they had going for them and forsake it all and consider it as dung, he says, refuse, feces trash, why would he say everything that I used to live for is garbage compared to knowing Jesus Christ? Why would he do that if Jesus was dead? What benefit does he have from faking the story in order to love and to follow Jesus if he didn't really see Christ alive? Unless he did see Christ alive. And again, this is one of the evidences that you'll see in these sermons, just to tease you just a little bit. All historians will say Paul was a hater of Christians, and then he became a Christian. What would cause him to do that? That's evidence for the resurrection of Christ, not the only, one of the many. And you have to make a decision when you consider all these evidences. Okay? But when it comes to sharing the gospel, the resurrection is something that we must include. One of the things I've noticed is that when training Christians to share the gospel, I will ask them first, please share the gospel with me. And they will talk about how God made us, how we sinned against God, how judgment came in, how Christ came to die for our sins on the cross. And that's all part of the good news story that needs to be told, but a lot of times Christians will forget to talk about the resurrection. And you don't have good news unless you have the resurrection. It's what completes the good news. Without it, there is no good news, okay? So it's very important that you never forget to share the resurrection and why it matters for us. So we're gonna talk about that this morning. But as usual... Before I can talk about good news, we've got to talk about bad news first, okay? So the first part hurts just a little bit. It hurts me. It's going to hurt you and sting a little on the inside. You might feel a little defensive. But you have to be told some things that are not good in order to appreciate the good news. So bear, bear with me and understand that this is part of what you have to share in order to help people receive Christ, okay? So let's talk a little bit about the bad news. Let's rehearse the story of Scripture Why do we need a Savior? Why do we need Jesus? Why does his resurrection matter? Here's the backstory, the background to the good news. At the beginning of Scripture, we are told in Genesis, the very first pages of the Bible, we are told that God made everything and he made it very good. And everything was beautiful and perfect. And he especially created mankind on day six. And when he made mankind, Scripture, God himself says that he made man in his image, mankind. He made them to be small representations of him on this earth. And so, God is love and we're to be loving. And God is kind and we're to be kind. And God is orderly and we're to be orderly. And God is creative and so we're to be creative. And God governs and so we're, mankind was created to govern in this world. Under the authority of God, God Up here ruling over the entire cosmos, God creating mankind on earth to rule, mankind to rule under his authority. Are you with me so far? Ruling like God rules. And God put Adam and Eve in this beautiful garden called the Garden of Eden. And all their food was provided to for them. And they enjoyed the company of God and each other, and they were to take care of the animals and just walk in a beautiful garden and enjoy God. And Adam and Eve even join each other. And all they had to do was just act like God. I think that's a pretty cool situation to be in, don't you? Like, why would you want to mess up this paradise that they were in? Why would you want to bring anything ugly into it? God says, just love me and obey me and be like me and everything will be fine and you'll live forever. And in the mystery of mysteries, something tragic happened. And they disobeyed God. You have to understand that obedience and love aren't real if you're not given the choice to do that or not do that. Love and obedience have to be freely given. And so God gave that opportunity to Adam and Eve. You can love and obey me, but there's there's one tree that I don't want you to eat of. It's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in the day that you eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. Punishment will come upon you. You can freely love me and you have the opportunity to not love me if, if You don't want to, but that's your decision. If you love and obey me, you'll live forever. If not, death and judgment will come your way. So that's where the story of Scripture starts. And through temptation of Satan, Adam and Eve ate of the tree that they weren't supposed to eat. They basically told God, bug off. We don't want to do what you tell us to do. Really, everything's perfect. It's gorgeous. Why are you going to screw that up? But they believed the life of Satan and they ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, I don't think there's anything necessarily mystical or special about that tree. Like, as soon as they ate it, oh, now I know what murder is. And now I know what embezzlement is. And I have all this knowledge of evil. I think in that choosing, when they ate, they now knew this is what it means to not listen to God. And now I I, I really, on a different level, can contrast goodness with badness, holiness with unholiness, righteousness with unrighteousness. I now have knowledge of what it means to disrespect my maker and tell him to stop ruling over me. I want to rule my own life. That's what Adam and Eve did. Now, I, I don't know if you can see that the, the biggest and the best and the most awesome of all beings created us, and we said, forget you, God. Adam and Eve said, forget you. Forget you. I don't know if you know how serious that is. To despise and reject your maker and creator, the one who brought you into existence. That's a serious offense, okay? It's important that we share this when helping others come to know the good news. We have to establish that God rules over us so that we can understand why when we disrespect him and sin against him and don't listen to him, it is so serious. Our accountability to God as as he being our creator and us being created Creatures under a creator, this must be shared before sharing the gospel. It helps make sense of sin and the judgment to come, okay? It helps us establish accountability and why we're required to represent him and why we're required to obey him. This helps us make sense of why sin is evil, because it is firstly and always against God, because he first and foremost made us to act like him. And any deviation from that is evil. It is sinful and punishable. It is damnable. We're made under God's authority to rule in this world, and we don't. And because we don't, there is a judgment to come. And some of you might be thinking, well, I'm really not that bad of a person. I I, I don't really find a time in my life when I've rebelled against God, my maker. Let me ask you some questions. Do you love God with all your heart, mind, and soul? Every second of the day, do you love him perfectly? When was the last time you talked to him? When was the last time you sought to even know him? That that's disrespecting the one who made you. That's sinful. Do you do you ever lie? Do you ever have hateful thoughts towards others? I have. I'm not saying I'm excused from any of these things. Just mark my name right next to these as guilty. And you have to be honest with yourself. Are you guilty as well? Not do you feel guilty, but are you guilty? Are you ever unforgiving? Our God is a forgiving God. We're to forgive as he forgives. Are you ever greedy? Our God is a giving God. He's not greedy, which is why we're not to be greedy, because it rightly represents his nature. Are you ever lazy? Our God is not lazy. He works, and he does things. He doesn't. He, you'll never catch him napping, all right? You'll never catch him slacking off and putting in half an effort when he does things. Do you ever have lustful thoughts? Are you ever selfish? Do you ever steal? Our God is a giving God. So stealing is acting contrary to God's nature. Do you ever cheat to get something? Do you ever gossip? Do you ever backstab? Why do we do things that hurt other people? We do things that hurt other people, which is a contradiction of God's nature. We were made to reflect God's likeness and his image in whom we are made. We do these things because we don't want God ruling over us, just like Adam and Eve. We rightly deserve the same judgment and condemnation, the same hell that all sinners deserve for rebelling against their maker and creator. Again, before sharing the gospel, the good news, it's important to start with these concepts, God, man, sin, and judgment. You got that? God, man, sin, judgment. And then in Genesis chapter three, a savior is promised. A savior is promised. This rescuer that God promises and that's, this is where the first half of the Bible, the Old Testament, takes us. It is an outworking of this promise that God made to send someone to destroy Satan and fix our sin problem. And the rest of the Old Testament is God picking a particular people, the Jewish people, and he created them, and it is through the Jewish people that God will bring the Savior into the world to redeem people from all nations and all tongues and tribes, which is why we pray for those people. And that's what you see in the rest of the Old Testament. Okay? Some really cool things of how God gives them a way to live through sacrifices and a priesthood and a temple building and all these different holidays that are designed to help us know that Jesus is coming to do certain things, that there's a God-man coming. And these rituals and holidays all help us to see that, that the God-man is coming. Now, since God is the one who put us under the judgment for our rebellion, it is only God who can remove it. Does that make sense? If God is the one that put us under judgment, only he can lift it. He is our judge, our only Savior, therefore. Only God can do this. So why did God leave heaven? Why did God take on human flesh and blood? Scripture says, piece this together with what we learn in Genesis. The New Testament tells us that he came to be the second Adam. What did the first Adam do? Sin, he blew it for us. He blew it for us. And then we blow it as well. Jesus came to do what Adam failed to do, the second Adam. He came to do what we have all failed to do, which is to live in this world perfectly before God, to rightly represent God. In fact, the scripture calls Jesus the perfect image of God. We were created in the image of God, and we broke it and shattered it and ruined it with our sin. Jesus comes to be the perfect image and do what we failed to do and what Adam and Eve failed to do. And he rightly represents his father here on earth. And that's why the perfect life of Jesus is so important. God coming in flesh to do what we couldn't do. That's why he took on flesh. To be a human who would do what we were supposed to do. Standing for truth, Jesus would. Living and doing good things, he would do. Fighting evil and standing for justice, Jesus would accomplish. And while he was on this earth, he lived perfectly. He never sinned. He never did wrong. Even when tempted Satan, him, the second Adam, because the first Adam Eve was tempted, so the second Adam was tempted, but Jesus didn't give in to his temptations, did he? We know that story. He resisted, and he continued to be good and godly and just and righteous and perfect and holy and sinless, without fault. It's important to know that Jesus, God the Son, was perfect and without sin whatsoever. That's part of the good news. He came not to be a rebel, but obedient under the law of God the Father, doing everything that God the Father required of us. Jesus' perfect perfection is part of the plan of how God rescues rebellious sinners like you and me. His perfection matters, okay? His coming in flesh matters. So, real quick, God, creation, right? Man, sin, judgment. Then we have in the New Testament, the incarnation. That's Jesus taking on flesh. Incarnation and then perfection. Him living a perfect life, okay? We see this in Scripture. Jesus lived perfectly in this world, yet he has some enemies. He has some enemies. God always has enemies. And these enemies couldn't stand Jesus. They refused to believe who he was, that he was the God-man. They refused to believe the claims that he made about himself. And Jesus actually said these things, that he was God, that he existed before all creation. He's crazy or he's a liar and definitely not a good person to say, I've existed before everybody, I'm God. That's a bad thing to say if you aren't God. Do you get that? So you got to make a decision of what you're going to do with Jesus. He can't just be a good moral teacher because good moral teachers don't claim to be God. That's evil. Okay? So what do you do with that? Either he is or he isn't. They refused, these religious leaders, to acknowledge that Jesus was their rightful king and creator. And so they crucified him, which is a Roman method of execution. They killed him out of hatred for him. And while it seems like this is defeat for Jesus, defeat for God, this too is part of God's plan to rescue people who snub God, turn their back on him, and tell him to bug off. But his death was no ordinary death because he was no ordinary man. You see, Jesus coming to the earth in the flesh for, in order to be perfect, he did that in order to die as a substitute. Or sinners. Incarnation, taken on flesh. Then you have perfection. Now you have substitution. I'm giving you bullet points to help you remember the story here. Jesus came to be a curse for us, to stand in our place under God's judgment and get the punishment that we deserve so that we won't have to get it. That's what I mean by substitution. You guys know what a substitute teacher is, right? Can't pronounce anybody's names right if you watch the internet, okay? A Aaron, right? We all know that guy. Terrible substitute teacher. Jesus is a different kind of substitute. While we're supposed to get the judgment of God, he pushes us out of the way and stands in the place of us and takes on the punishment of God so that we don't have to endure it. Because it's awful enduring that we would have to go through. Incarnation, perfection, substitution. And then scripture says that after his death on the cross, after he paid the penalty. For our sin and suffered God's wrath for us That was due us for our rebellion It says that he was buried in a tomb And three days later he rose from the dead Now we have resurrection Incarnation, again taking on flesh Perfection, obedience to God Substitution, dying in our place on the cross And then resurrection You got that? Eight words if you can remember God, man, sin, judgment Incarnation perfection, substitution, and resurrection. If you can remember that, at least you have a mental roadmap to to start talking about some things and know what you're trying to help people understand. Are you with me so far? Okay. So let's dive into this a little bit further. Jesus came to be our double substitute. Our double substitute. Double substitute. He came to be our perfection because we're supposed to present ourselves to God perfectly and we can't because we're sinners. And he says, step out of the way. I will present myself on your behalf to God in perfection. He came to do what we have all failed to do. Jesus gets the job done where we refuse to do it and have spited God. And he stands in our place as the perfect one because we can no longer be perfect before God. And because of our sin and rebellion, we deserve to die and suffer the wrath of God. And yet his death was substitutionary as well. Get out of the way. I will stand in your place and suffer the punishment. I will be the substitute for you. Okay? Just like he was perfect for us in substitution. So he died in our place, and he took the punishment as a substitute, and he was righteous in our place. Well, on the cross, Scripture says that that God invisibly nailed sins to the cross that Jesus was on. He invisibly nailed sins so that his death were for those sins. Because in the Roman culture, if you were crucified, above your head was nailed the crimes for which you died. So if you got busted stealing, thief, stealing was placed above your head. If you were a murderer, above your head was placed murder, and that's what you died for. And above Jesus' head was nailed the sins of all those people who would ever trust him to be their savior. So perversion was nailed above Jesus, and lies were nailed above Jesus and hatred, and murder, and theft, and adultery, and lust, and greed, and selfishness, all nailed above the head of Jesus so that he's dying as if he did those sins, even though he was perfect and did not do those sins. Our sins were nailed to the cross along with Jesus, and he suffered for those sins. And on the cross, Scripture says that God unleashed his wrath and poured it out on Jesus taking an eternity of hell upon himself for the sins that I have done and the sins that you have done. And only particular sins were nailed on the cross. Not all sins. Only the sins of some people. What people? I'll tell you in just a second. Because you're going to want to know if your sins are nailed there. Because if they're not, you have to answer for your sins. And you will stand before God one day with all your sins and you will be judged. But you can have those sins removed. You can. They can be part of the sins that were nailed on the cross. How do you know if those sins, your sins are nailed there? Again, we'll get to that in a minute. But Jesus is the only one that can save us from God's punishment. God isn't wrong for punishing evil. He isn't. If, if there were a judge sitting in a courtroom and just letting criminals go free, we're like, dude, what are you doing? That's not right. Those people deserve to get locked up. If you let them out, they're, they're going to harm and continue to do what they do and hurt others. Lock them up. What they did is serious. Oh, but I'm loving. No, you're a bad judge. Why would you do that? It's not right. We're bad. We do evil. You might not be as evil as the person next to you. I promise they're probably worse than you, right? And I'm looking over like, yeah, they are, Okay. Maybe you're worse than them, but you weren't made in their image, were you? God didn't make you in the likeness of the person next to you. He made you after his likeness. So God is comparing you to himself, not the person next to you. So you can't ever think, well, I'm not as bad as some people, because that's not the standard by which you'll be graded and judged. You'll be graded on God's good, good character in which you were made after. It's important that you see that. So God is not wrong in punishing evil. He's not going to compare you to others. Yet in God's love, he wants to rescue people. He wants to save humanity. And so he offers a way to be rescued. Remember, you have sin. On the cross, Jesus takes your sin away. And when you trust in Jesus as Savior, he gives you an amazing gift. He gives you his perfection. So if your sins are gone and nailed to a cross and Jesus suffers for them, And in the moment you trust in Jesus to be your savior, he gives you his perfection, which is why that perfection matters. Remember incarnation, perfection, his good deeds matter because when you trust him to save you, he gives you his perfection, just like he takes your sin. And just as he suffered for your sin, you too can be rewarded for his righteousness. And if you were perfectly good and could be capable of doing that, you would live forever and have eternal life. And so when you trust in Jesus, you get that perfection. So with sin gone and perfection in your bank account, in your spiritual bank account, God can look at you and say, you're righteous and holy. You're just, you're perfect, you're good based on what Jesus has done for you, not what you have done for yourself. And that's what we call grace. That's what we call good news. There's nothing you do. Jesus has done it all. You just cling to him like a life raft and like a parachute. It does all the work for you, the life raft, in the parachute, you just got to trust it. You're like, oh, I'm good in the ocean, floating around, sharks around me, swimming. And maybe, Hopefully I make it out of here. Here comes a boat. Nah, I don't need that. But I'm good. I think I'll make it. You need that. You can't swim forever. Sharks like humans. Have you not seen Jaws? Planes go down. I've watched a lot of movies. Parachutes are good. And yet this entire world that we live in is crashing we see it with earthquakes and famines and wars and hunger. And you and see evil things everywhere. And, and we contribute to that in our own way. And the only way that we can be rescued is by putting on Jesus Christ and clinging to him. Okay? This is the good news. The good news. But it's not good news without the resurrection because a dead God can't save anybody. Okay? So quickly I want to move through a few reasons of why the resurrection matters. Number one, if Christ is not raised, then we are still in our sins. If Christ is not raised, if he's not resurrected, we're still in our sins. 1 Corinthians 15, 17 says this. If Christ has not been raised, your faith, your trust in him is futile, and you are still in your sins. The Apostle Paul makes it clear, and in no uncertain terms, he tells us why the resurrection matters. Let me make this very personal for you, okay? Let's make this about you and you only. So for a moment, stop thinking about everybody else, just you and God right now. If Christ is not raised from the dead, then you still have sin to answer for, okay? In other words, Paul is basically saying that it's a bad thing if Christ is not raised and his bones are in a grave because we still have a problem to deal with before God, the sin issue. We know what it is, that we've rebelled against God, that we've sinned against him. If Christ isn't raised, we still have sin in our account, and we've got to stand before God as a just judge who does not let evil go unpunished. God said that the consequence of death is both physical and spiritual. And so if we think that disobeying God is a small matter, we just got to look to the punishment. And we see that it's horrific in Scripture. It's an eternity separated from him in hell. When we sin and violate God's perfect law, we are sinning against an eternal God. And so sinning against God is a huge deal. It's treason against the one who made you. Our lies are offensive. We've gone through that. Our stealing and greed is offensive. Our infidelity in marriage, all that is offensive. And if Christ is not raised, then we still have these sins to contend for, for offending our Creator. But if Christ is raised, that means that we have the possibility of having our sin no longer in our account, that God has provided a way for us to be fixed and for justice to be served and for forgiveness to be ours and for judgment to be diverted away from us. And this is where the death and the resurrection of Christ comes in. That is Paul's point in what we just read, that if Christ is not raised, we're still in our sins. We still have sin to deal with. But if Christ is raised, then we don't have to have sin remain in our account, okay? Our sin can be dealt with. God doesn't have to remain angry with us. Instead, we can live without the threat of punishment in his love, without the threat of judgment, in his kindness. Instead of being treated as sinners, we can be treated as righteous. Instead of being treated as unjust, we can be considered as just. And the resurrection is part of what makes that possible. The resurrection is the proof that we can be made into good, holy, just, righteous people. You may be asking, how does the resurrection solve my problem of sin? Let's look at that. Okay, secondly, number one, again, if Christ is not raised, we're still in our sins. Number two, if Christ is resurrected, You can be justified. You can be justified if Christ is resurrected. I'm going to explain what that means. We already know that Jesus was perfect. We've talked about that. Therefore, he did not deserve to die. But because of his love for sinners who need rescue, he did die in their place. The reality is if Jesus' bones still lie in a grave, it means this. If Jesus is still dead and his bones are in a grave, it means that he, he was a sinner too that he, he was not perfect, that he was a sinner too, just like us. Only sinners deserve to die in condemnation. Jesus was raised to life to prove that he was sinless and only was righteous and good and that he did not deserve condemnation. Jesus was raised to life for this very reason. It's important for us to get that. Him staying dead means he's a sinner, and a sinner can't save sinners from God's judgment <clears throat> and God's wrath. Trusting him to save you from sin and sin's consequence is pointless if he was a sinner. That's why Paul says that. Your faith is futile if Christ is not raised. It's pointless. Only someone who is perfectly righteous can save sinners. Listen to this verse. It is a mouthful, but I'm going to break it down. In Romans 4, verses 24 through 25, it says says this. Just hang on to this, okay? Righteousness, meaning perfection, Perfect deeds will be counted to us, given to us, granted to us, put in our bank account, our spiritual bank account, will be counted to us. Who's the us? Those who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. If you believe that God raised, God the Father raised Jesus, the Son of God, God the Son, if you believe that he raised him from the dead, you will be given as a gift righteousness. Jesus Who was delivered up on the cross for our sins, put on the cross to suffer for our sins, and raised for our justification. That's the part I want to hone in on. Raised for our justification. I want to make sure that you understand this. Okay? When you sin, let me ask, are you just or unjust? You're unjust. You need to be pronounced just. That's what justification is. How how God declares a person just. He was raised so that you could be declared just and I could be declared just. How how can that happen though? I'm, I'm a sinner. Remember, he was delivered up on the cross for our trespasses, our sin getting counted to him on the cross, removed from us, and those who believe that God raised him from the dead get the gift of righteousness. So when God looks at me, he doesn't see sin because Jesus took it away from me. And when God looks at me, if I've trusted Jesus to be my savior and believe that God raised him from the dead, he gives me his righteousness. So God now looks at me and says, I see just, I see perfection. That's what scripture's saying, raised for our justification. Meaning if Jesus is, if he's not raised, if he's still dead, it means he was a sinner and I can't be justified. Let me make sense of that just a little bit more. When you believe in Jesus, what does God give you? He gives you his deeds, his perfect deeds, right? That's that's what happens the moment you trust Jesus to save you. Your sins are gone, he gives you his perfect deeds. If Jesus is dead, it means he's a sinner, if he's he's still dead. So if you trust in Jesus, who's still dead and is a sinner, what deeds are you going to get? You're going to get sinful deeds, right? Right? You aren't justified because you just are one sinner for another trading deeds. He died for your sin. Well, now you got his sinful deeds and now you got to die for those. You're still in sin. You're not justified. You can't be pronounced just, which is why Jesus had to come in the flesh, incarnation. His perfection matters. His substitution on the cross matters. Dying for our sins and his resurrection matters because it's the proof that you can be justified and that you're trusting the right person to save you. Does that make sense? Okay, this is the kind of conversation that's hard to have with people in just one sitting and this is why we're equipping you to have multiple conversations. Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 15, 17 that if Christ has not been raised, again, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. But if Christ is raised, you can be justified. Third, if Christ is raised, it means we're united to him and we will be raised to life as well. If Christ is raised, we're united to him. Okay? And we can be raised to life as well. Listen to this. In Romans 6, Scripture says this. If we have been united with Jesus in a death like His, just think of you being engulfed in Jesus. United. If we're united to Him in a death like His, He went into a tomb and was dead, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. Okay? okay. What a beautiful truth. Sin brings us Judgment and death, physical and spiritual. Jesus dies in our place, and he gives us his perfection when we trust him. And one of the truths of the resurrection is that if we cling to Jesus and we're united to him, that we will be raised to life as well, just like he was raised to life. And so here's what you need to understand. When you believe in Christ, at that moment you are united to him, you are in him. So much so that his death means the old you is dead. The one that hated God, that didn't listen to him, that rebelled against him, that didn't love him, that didn't care to honor him, that person is dead. And Jesus is raised to life. And if you're united in him and he's raised to life, so too you are raised to life. Spiritually now, you, you are a new person that loves God, that loves his family, that wants to obey him. And though you're not perfect, you're, you're no longer outside of his kingdom, rebelling against him, attacking him. You are now inside his kingdom, trying to love and serve the one who made you. Okay, that's what happens when you're united to God and that new life starts spiritually now and one day the Lord promises to give us a physical resurrection to match the spiritual resurrection so that we're completely made new. And this body that aches and suffers, I just heard my back crack when I did that, okay? This body that aches and hurts and suffers under the curse of judgment will be renewed. It will never desire to sin again. That will love God perfectly, with no temptation. And a lot of people think we're just going to spend forever in heaven. And that's a, that's a misunderstanding of the concept of eternal life. Temporarily placed right now is heaven, where souls go until Jesus comes again to this world and remakes everything. And this world will have no earthquakes, no famine, no pestilences, no, no sin, nothing to affect it negatively. And the souls will come down and their bodies will be resurrected. They'll be given new physical bodies and we will be given new physical bodies to live in a new earth that is untainted and the paradise that Adam lost for us is regained by Jesus Christ. That's how the story of scripture ends. Jesus fixing what our first dad screwed up and he came and he reversed it all. Adam brought in sin and death and judgment. Jesus takes away sin, removes judgment and gives us his righteousness so that we have eternal life the way God intended it and we will freely love God forevermore in this physical body. You know, uh, last uh, Wednesday, I got to go visit my daughter at her college, and the jazz band was there playing, and Macy was singing, and her friend over there, Paul, was just blowing away on a trumpet, just ripping and just shredding on a trumpet. And I was like, gosh, this is such beautiful music. I love music. I love hearing live music. And uh, it just brought tears to my eye to be able to hear that kind of music, uh, jazz music in person. And when thinking about the new creation with no hint of sin anywhere in this planet, your voice will be able to sing those perfect notes to God. And you will hear the most beautiful choir, the most beautiful music ever being sung to God because we are in perfect bodies. You'll be like, my my tone deafness is gone. And and some of us will be like, yes, praise God, (laughs) right? And your ears will be able to withstand the loudest shouts that you have ever heard sung to God. I can't wait for that, to hear pure and perfect praise offered to God for what Jesus has done for us. What a beautiful thing. This perfect state is the destiny of God's people who trust Jesus to rescue them. While the resurrection destiny is somewhere in the future, we're experiencing resurrection life now, and that we are now walking with God on, on that path. It's a little windy sometimes, a little crooked. We trip and fall, but we're still on the path to where God has us going, which is a state of perfection, a state of harmony, a state of perfect rule in this world. Fourthly, we see this. If Christ is resurrected, and man, this needs to hit home. If Christ is resurrected, it means he is your judge. If Christ is resurrected, it means he is your judge. Let me recap real quick. If Christ is not raised, you're still in your sins. If Christ is raised, you can be justified. That means have your sins removed and be counted as a just perfect, uh, and perfect person and when, when, only when you trust in him to save you. If Christ is raised, then you are united to him, and that means you have a resurrection like his coming. And then fourthly, if Christ is resurrected, he is your judge. Acts chapter two, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 10 says this in verse 40 through 42. But God raised him on the third day. And God commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. The one whom God the Father raised. God the Father raised God the Son. And he's called Christians to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. This is why the resurrection matters. It tells us who the judge of humanity is. It's the God-man, Jesus Christ. The perfect one died to rescue rebels who don't, want them, who don't want him as their king. But the reality is that God is always our rightful ruler. It doesn't matter who you are. He's the judge of the living and the dead. The universe is his. There's not one corner of it that you can go to that does not belong to his domain. You can take a rocket ship ship to the furthest extent of the universe, farther than the James uh, Webb telescope, whatever that thing is called, it's got a huge name, further than that can see, and that belongs to God. He owns it all. There's not one single human that will fail to confess that Jesus is Lord. Scripture says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. No one will be able to escape this reality if Jesus is raised from the dead. It's in this life that We have rebelled against Jesus, and therefore it's in this life that we must confess him to be our king, lest we stand under his judgment and condemnation. Those who don't turn to Jesus as Lord in this life and don't turn to him as Savior will stand before their judge in terror as he rightly issues justice. And we don't want that for anybody. And that's why we share the good news. You don't don't have to go through that. You don't have to be in that position. You see, the Bible starts with the story of creation, and it moves to the story of Adam and Eve walking with God. Sin comes in, it ruins their union with God. Judgment is pronounced on them and all their descendants, and right away God promises a Savior, and the rest of the story of the Old Testament takes us to Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus is supremely worthy of your love and your devotion, because Christ reverses that which sin ruins. He takes away judgment and He gives us life. This is why the resurrection matters for all of us. It's there so that we can live with God forever enjoying happiness because God is the first and the best of all beings and God delights to share Himself with you. Heaven is not great and the eternal creation won't be great just because it's nice and perfect. The reason it's so grand is because God is there. John Piper once famously said, you know, You don't go to the Grand Canyon to say, oh, look how gorgeous I am. You go to the Grand Canyon to stand in awe of something that is so big it makes you feel so tiny. And in your tininess, in in humility, you're like, wow, this is amazing to stand before something so much bigger than me. If you've ever been there, you know what I'm talking about. It's so big, it doesn't even look real sometimes, the Grand Canyon. It looks like a painting. Like, this is massive. I heard it was grand, but it's grand. And when we get in the new creation, you're not going to be there with your selfie phone, like, oh, duck lips and head tilted, and, and look how cute I am. You won't be doing that, because something bigger than the Grand Canyon will be there, and it will be God himself, and you'll be like, that's... That's what I rebelled against, this awesome thing. How could I betray you? And he, you will see him face-to-face face for the first time in the new creation. And his beauty, it's going to be so overwhelming. That's, I think that's one of the reasons we won't be able to ever sin against him again. His majesty will just call us like, why would I ever forsake that? And you will freely love God. But you can only be in that if you trust in Jesus now. Because if you don't, when you stand before God as judge and you don't trust Jesus... Your sins weren't removed. You don't have his righteousness. You have your sin to contend with, and you stand before the judge in his courtroom, and he says, you've committed crimes. I cannot for you. You must be punished for that, for your sin. Yet while there is time, today is the day of salvation. So if you're not a Christian, I I urge you with as much love and compassion and tenderness that I can muster up and say, please trust in Jesus to save you. I did many years ago when somebody shared this good news story with me. And it started with the bad news. And it did not feel good to hear that I was not a good person, that I had sinned against God. But it helped me to see why I need to be vaccinated against death. It helped me to see, like a person who has a tumor in their brain, like, oh, that's bad news. No way. I'm going to die. And the doctor says, I can operate and remove that from you, and you can live. And all of a sudden, that surgery becomes great news. There's hope. And Christ is the hope of all those who are dying. And that is everyone. Therefore, I urge you to trust him so that your sin will be removed, so that you will receive his righteousness, so that you can be just. And the reason you know you can be counted just is because Jesus was perfect. How do you know he was perfect? Because he was raised from the grave. How do you know he was raised from the grave? Don't take my word for it. Look at the evidence that God has left in history so that you can make a great determination like a good juror and say, there's tons of evidence. I have to conclude Jesus rose from the dead. Therefore, I trust him to save me. My sins are gone. I'm just, I'm confident I will stand before God as perfect. Not because I'm a good person, but because Jesus was good for me. And I don't have to die because Jesus died for me. And he rose again. And I don't have to stand before him necessarily as judge, I can stand before him because he's my savior and he's my friend. He's my rescuer. He's my Lord, my king, my good God. And we can enjoy this new creation with him when that comes. If you're a Christian, rejoice in the empty tomb. Continue to do that. Worship the Savior with all your heart. If you're a Christian, then I invite you to share that story with other people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bless your name. We thank you for the love that you have shown us in Christ.